It's a good morning to come together and worship the Lord again, collectively. It's been blustery and windy the last 24 hours. This morning we can come together and worship in a, in a warm, warm building with each other. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter. So this morning I want to bring a message from Matthew 21, a few chapters prior to our Sunday school lesson on the Palm Sunday account, Jesus' triumphal entry. This marks the beginning of Passion Week, the week leading up to the crucifixion. The day Jesus entered Jerusalem as Savior and King, as Jesus rode on a donkey into the town of Jerusalem, a great crowd gathered there. They laid palm branches and their cloaks across the road, giving Jesus royal respect and honor. The crowds of people shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I want to read verses 1 to 11 this time. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a coat the foe of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the coat, and put on them their clothes. And they set him thereon. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So here in chapter 21, we enter into the last chapter of Jesus' ministry. The last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And there's a lot of prophetic fulfillment going on in these last chapters. Matthew is the gospel writer who refers more to Old Testament fulfillments in the life of Jesus than any of the other gospel writers. And in this last week... This last stage of what is happening is huge. The crowd calling Jesus these messianic titles. I'm son of David. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is an exciting time. Jesus gets on this donkey and rides through the city gates of Jerusalem. So here we have all these people. This is Passover, and you have all these Jews and believing Gentiles coming from all over the world to worship 
and participate in Passover. The city of Jerusalem swelled to many times its normal population during the Passover. And for the past three years, Jesus had been doing his earthly ministry, healing people. It tells us here that the whole city was moved. There's this excitement and anticipation of what is going to happen. Jesus breaks the tradition of what, has been, of what he's been doing the last three years. And he allows them to publicly declare him for the first time in his ministry. So I want to look at these verses this morning. And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage into the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends two of his disciples. And he tells them, go over to the village. Against you and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone questions you about what you're doing, tell them the Lord hath need of them. And they will send them. Here we see Jesus had made arrangements for his entrance into the city by having a couple of his disciples going to Bethphage. Bethphage was a village near Bethany, about a mile east of Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives. He tells them, when you go into this village, you're going to see this donkey. Bring them, untie them and bring them to me. Mark and Luke tell us the animal had never been ridden. So they go to Bethphage and they find this donkey and colt, just as Jesus had said they would. They bring the colt and the crowd, they lay out their garments over the colt. They spread some on the ground. They cut branches and lay them on the ground as well. And as they near the city of Jerusalem, as they see Jesus coming into this huge crowd, the crowd begins to shout. Matthew tells us it is a fulfillment of prophecy. In verse 4, All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a coat, the foal of an ass. Christ was described as the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9 speaks of this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This is the exact prophecy made hundreds of years before. This which Jesus fulfilled when Jesus came through the city gates was prophesied many years before. Jesus comes riding in on this colt. He doesn't come riding in on a white horse as a conquering hero. Horses usually represent something to do with war. Seldom will you find a horse in Scripture 
that doesn't belong in battle. In fact, this is likely why Jesus confused people when he made his triumphal entry on a donkey instead of a war horse. He had made it clear that during his first time on earth, he would not be a war lord or conqueror. He came, as it says here in Zechariah, lowly, he came humbly. He comes riding, on in the, comes riding in on this little coat, and that is humbling. He came in meekness, not in majesty. He came in mercy to work salvation. He comes humbly and peacefully. He is extending that opportunity to the people of Jerusalem, of Israel, one last time to receive him as the Messiah. Not in judgment, not yet. I come extending salvation. I come in peace. I come to you to say, you will, will you receive me as your Messiah? Revelations 19 talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb and Jesus coming as the righteous judge. John talks about what he saw. Revelations 19.11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This triumphal entry was an exciting time for the disciples but also a time of rejection. In less than a week, these people would give him over to the Gentile authorities that he might be put to death. It's hard to explain how big of an event this was. As Christians, we read about the triumphal entry. We know what it is called. And Matthew tells us it is to fulfill prophecy. We are blessed this morning to have prophecy in, in Scripture. A lot of religions are missing something. They're missing the element of the prophetic. Because only God knows the beginning. Only God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He can speak of what happens in the future as if it already took place in the past. And He does it with great detail. Even to the point of Jesus coming through the gates of the city riding on a donkey, he would come humbly, open-hearted, peaceably extending salvation to the people of Israel to, to receive him as their Messiah. Not only did God tell Zechariah this was going to take place, he also told Daniel, children, that's the one that was thrown into a pit with the lions, and God saved him from the lions. Daniel was a man who received many visitations from the Lord in a prophetic way, even at times from angels. He recorded it for us in the book of Daniel. And one time in particular, Daniel was visited by an angel who said there's an event coming that I want to make you aware of. I will even tell you when it's going to happen. I will give you the ability to figure out when this event is going to take place. He gave the formula, and that's unusual. Daniel 9.25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Israel until Messiah the Prince, 
There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Most Bible scholars believe the reference here to seven is actually a period of seven years. Seven sevens would be seven year periods and 62 sevens would be 62 seven year periods. And if you put all that together, you get 483 years. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 9. Usually, the Bible just tells us it's going to happen. It doesn't tell us when. Like we don't know when the Lord is going to return. What's the Bible say? It says that no man knows the day or the hour when Christ is returning. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. The act of spreading out the garment was one of recognition, loyalty, and promise of support. All this was done to honor Jesus as a great, triumphant person coming to Jerusalem in the season of Passover. Palm branches were emblems of victory as among the Greeks, or a festal rejoicing among the Jews. Revelation 7, verse 9 says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. It shows that this great multitude celebrates a great victory. Verse 10 says, And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. They worship God for salvation. They recognize that God is the source of salvation, and no one else. Salvation isn't something we earn. It is something God gives. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Now back in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Son of David is a messianic title. Because the Messiah was predicted to come from the lineage of David. By calling him son of David, they're declaring his messianic title. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're quote, quoting Psalm 119. I'm sorry, Psalm 118. The whole city was stirred. And this is a powerful prophetic moment in Scripture. With the coming of Jesus here at this time, this prophetic period that is given to us in Daniel is completed. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. All right, I want to continue reading verse 12. Jesus cleanses the temple. 
And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. This is something that Jesus did at the beginning of his public ministry. And this is something he did at the conclusion of his public ministry as it is recorded here in Matthew. He is chasing people out of the inner courts. I'm sorry, out of the outer courts. They're at the temple. Jesus didn't actually go into the temple itself, just into this outer area, if I understand it correctly. The outer courts was the only place a believing Gentile that came for Passover could go. They were not allowed to go into the temple because they were Gentile. The outer courts is where they would go to meet God, to pray. That is where they would go to offer their sacrifices. The outer courts is as far as they could go. And it was there that the Jews decided to set up this commerce. They were selling sacrificial animals. See, people would travel far to come to Passover. And it didn't make sense to bring animals along. So they would bring their money bag along and just buy a sacrificial animal once they got there. They would go to the temple and buy these animals to sacrifice. The problem was that there was a scam going on. They were being overcharged. Then the priest who would inspect the animal would often reject the animal that they themselves had put up for sale. They would say this animal has a defect. You're going to have to go and get another one. Then you have the money changers who are converting the people's currency from where they live to into the temple shekel. They wouldn't accept any other currency. So they would convert the, that money over to something that was usable in the temple. Again, they were being taken advantage of by these individuals who were converting the money. Everyone knew about it and Jesus knew about it. So he goes in and clears out the shady business. This is supposed to be a place of prayer, a place where people come to meet God, and all this corruption is going on. These people were standing in the way of people coming to worship. The activity of all those that bought and sold in the outer courts made it impossible for any seeking Gentile to come and pray. Verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The blind and the lame, who usually hung around Jesus, were at the temple. They were there anyway, because that's where they would do their begging. They knew that people had their money along, and they would try to get handouts. It says that Jesus healed those people. Verse 15, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. So let's think about who the main characters are here in this story. We have Jesus. We have the blind and the lame. We have the little children. We have the religious leaders. We have the chief priests and the scribes, which are the teachers of the law. The chief priests and the teachers of the law despised the blind and the lame. They considered them to be under the curse of God 
Remember the disciples came upon this blind man and they wondered who sinned because he is blind? Jesus said it was because it wasn't because of sin that this man was born blind. The assumption was, was there that if you had something bad going on in your life, you were a sinner. Children, for the most part, were considered unimportant. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Mark 10, 13 and 14. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 16. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. So what does Jesus do? He heals the blind and the lame. And he receives the praise of the children. And this upsets the religious leaders. Greed and theft in the temple didn't bother them. But praise to Jesus did. We find that the blind could actually see Jesus and the children who were uneducated knew who he was. We too find that religious leaders and the highly educated could neither see nor know him. Matthew 11, Jesus made a statement as he was praying. He said this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in your sight. There is nothing wrong with learning, but you won't find God in a textbook. Just knowing your Bible isn't enough. Your heart needs to be open. It's through the open, open and longing heart that he reveals himself. We find that the religious leaders were okay with having animals walking around the temple courts and the noise from the money changers cheating people. That seemed to be okay. But what they couldn't stand was little children praising God in the temple courts. In reading the book of Judges, we're reminded that it only takes one generation to abandon the Lord. Joshua was zealous. They were all zealous and full of passion as long as Joshua was alive and the people who surrounded Joshua. But when Joshua and his closest men died off, the very next generation, it says, knew not the Lord. Then as we get into Judges, it says the generation knew not the Lord. Mom and Dad knew God, and the very next generation knew not God. But they were still going through the motions. They would do the sacrifices. They were still bringing their animals. And they were still observing the Passover. 
but they didn't know God. Empty religion still goes through the motions. If you would ask them why they do these things, and the answer is because we always have. There should be this passion for what we do for the Lord. Turn with me to Matthew 24. Here Jesus gives us signs of the end times. And we find one of those signs in verse 12. It says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This is one of the characteristics. We need to keep our passions strong for the Lord. That is why we come together to stir more passion, to have more desire to serve God. We need to stay strong because we live in a time period where wickedness is increasing and hearts are also growing cold. Will your heart stay passionate for the Lord? Verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So may each of us be faithful and endure to the end. As I studied this, a song that kept running through my mind was a song by John B. Mathias titled, Deliverance Will Come. I want to share that with you in closing. It gives us a picture of a man faithfully pressing on in the journey. And may that be each of our experience as well. Deliverance will come. I saw a wayworn traveler in tattered garments clad, and struggling up the mountain, it seemed that he was sad. His back was laden heavy, his strength was almost gone. Yet he shouted as he journeyed, Deliverance will come. Then palms of victory, crowns of glory, palms of victory I shall wear. The summer sun was shining, the sweat was on his brow. His garments worn and dusty, his steps seemed very slow. But he kept pressing onward, for he was wending home, still shouting as he journeyed, Deliverance will come. The songsters in the arbor that stood beside the way attracted his attention, inviting his delay. His watchword being onward, he stopped his ears and ran, still shouting as he journeyed, Deliverance will come. I saw him in the evening. The sun was bending low. He'd overtopped the mountain and reached the vale below. He saw the golden city, his everlasting home, and shouted loud hosanna, deliverance will come. While gazing on that city, just o'er the narrow flood, a band of holy angels came from the throne of God. They bore him on their pinion, safe o'er the dashing foam, and joined him in his triumph, deliverance had come. I heard the song of triumph they sang upon that shore, saying, Jesus has redeemed us to suffer nevermore. Then casting his eyes backward on the race which he had run, he shouted loud hosanna, deliverance has come. Let's have a song.